Well done, Nathan. Hey, well done, church. You did it. Responsive reading, just like the church has done for thousands of years. Well done. I'm really grateful for it. Well, my name is Chris Lyons. I am the pastor of Children, Youth, and Family Ministry here at Green Lake. It's my privilege to hang, hang out with our families and our kids, and I'm especially grateful to be able to share uh, this message with you today uh, around Psalm 73. I'll start with this. I had a professor in seminary who was very fond of saying this. If faith is about one thing, faith is about seeing. If faith is about one thing, faith is about seeing. And he, he was talking about an Hebrew, a Hebrews 11.1 1 kind of faith. Not with our eyes. So a faith is actually talks about evidence of things unseen with our eyes, but eyes of faith that believe that God is active and alive and present. And that we, ha we have an opportunity to open up and see and experience him in our lives. Faith is about one thing. It's about seeing. I love that start of both this uh, sermon, but also I think this, this message series that we're gonna be talking about and even the season of Lent. I don't know where you're at thinking about Lent, but I think it's a good start. First though, um, I've had my glasses for a couple of years. I wonder, any of you remember the day when your eyeballs went out, anybody? Where like one day it was clear and the next day you're doing this and things used to be clear far away and now they're blurry. Anybody remember that day? Go see my doctor, he said, oh yeah, you're a man of a certain age, blah, 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 blah. So I got a prescription both for the bifocals, actually transition for looking close and looking far away and I just realize it's part of the journey now, but I wanna see clearly, that's why I have glasses. I believe that you and I, we wanna see clearly when it comes to matters of faith. And so I think that's a great place for us to start today as we enter into this, this message series. Now related to Lent itself, I wonder where your focus is when you think about the season of preparation between now and Easter. Now some folks might be uh, giving something up, a matter of subtraction to make more space for God. I was talking to a friend this morning who said that he's actually adding kind of prayer time, creating space for prayer as a place of focus going forward into Lent. And all I would like to say is I think Lent is a time, an invitation to say, I need you, God. I need you, God. I want to be intentional about that awareness that I need you, encourage you to find ways to participate in this season of preparation. Now, we don't do it because it's gonna make life easier or somehow God is gonna be more proud of us, you know, brownie points. Instead, it's about tasting and seeing the goodness of God in a more clear way. And so to that end, we're entering into this message today. Would you please pray with me together? Lord, we want your help to see you. We believe in a faith that you are good all the time and all the time you're good. But we still have doubts. We say but a lot. We, we say but my prayers haven't been answered but there's so many struggles that I'm, I'm having but I feel so alone and don't feel your presence at times. But in spite of those doubts, Lord, we've shown up today here in this place. Meet us. Help us encounter you, experience you, help us know that you are near. And then give us the proper prescription to see clearly, to see you, Lord. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together, Lord, be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, 
Amen. Now you had a note sheet when you came in and I probably should have made more space on the top because I'm gonna do a little bit of preparation for this message series and framework before we dive into the guts of Psalm 73. So just a, a comment about that. But you might be thinking, what's this new sermon series all about? It's called Christ in the Psalms. And I gotta let you know, it's not like some weird Where's Waldo thing where you gotta somehow decipher every psalm and see where Jesus is in that. Obviously there are prophecies that come up. I think of Psalm 22 specifically. There are prophecies that speak to Jesus, but in a greater way, it's an awareness that all of Scripture, all of Scripture points to the fulfillment that comes with the coming of Jesus. Now, before we look at Psalm 73, hopefully this, this is some time we can do some framework building around this series, and I think it has everything to do with looking, with how we look at things, with perspective. Let me start with this. Uh, how many of you remember drawing pictures for your kids and your moms and dads would put them up on the refrigerator, right? Four of us? Wow. <laughs> you must not be very good artist. No, I'm just kidding. Right. Yes, yeah. So some of you might even still have kids at home. You're putting their pictures up. I, it was a, the art gallery of our house was a refrigerator and we kept them up there for years. So it's something we did with our kids. So 10 years ago, I came home to see this picture from my daughter Katie, who was seven at the time laying on the table. <laughs> don't fire me, don't fire me, I'm not, don't fire me yet. Yeah, so I was a little bit flipped out, I'm like, dang, Lisa let her watch The Exorcist again, or she's <laughs> doing the Ouija board, or Animal Sacrifice, whatever, you know. Um, uh, but as a dad who's had some training and not being too shocked, and try not to look shocked, I'm like, I'll just ask her when she comes home. So Katie comes home, and I'm like, hey, sweetheart, I love, is there any way you can take down uh, my volume? I'm getting quite a bit of feedback up here. Thanks. Um, I'd love some, uh, to, for you to help me understand this picture. I really like it, but I don't really get it. And she looked at me like, father, you have no art appreciation. No, <laughs> she says, dad, you're holding it wrong. And she did a 90 degree like this. And she said, we were at church, and we were talking about Pentecost. Now the Holy Spirit came in like wind, and everybody's like, wee! <laughs> True story, true story, go back. <laughs> red rum, red rum, go back. It's like, wee, Holy Spirit, yay. <laughs> I promise you that is true. Here's the, here's the fact. It is the same exact picture, the same circumstances, but it's shifted at a different angle and it makes all the difference, yes? <laughs> Thank Jesus, it makes all the difference. Friends, this is so helpful for us to enter into this, this reflection on perspective. Now we're just starting Lent, but we're gonna fast forward to, to Resurrection Sunday, Easter morning. There are two stories in Luke 24 that help frame this whole Christ in the Psalms uh, thought. The first story are the two disciples who are walking to Emmaus. Their eyes are down. They're discouraged because Jesus had died. All their promises they thought were, that were gone, gone and over. No hope. And Jesus walks beside them and asks them what's going on. They don't recognize him. But then he begins, do you remember what it says? To open the scriptures to them and show how all the, the words of Moses and the prophets pointed to the coming Messiah. Then they go and they actually break bread together. And their eyes were open. And they ran to Jerusalem to tell the disciples. And they, as they were running, they said, weren't our hearts burning within us as he opened up the scriptures? Jesus in the Psalms. Later in that same uh, chapter, Jesus is among the disciples in Jerusalem and says, 
Don't you know how the words of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms all points to me, the fulfillment of all scripture. He's making the point that he was not absent in the Old Testament. All of the Old Testament points to him. It's like engaging bifocals, sort of. You know, we read Psalms for what the psalmist was writing about in his moment. You know, up close, Psalm 51, David was talking about his failures with Bathsheba. But there's also a, a long view as well that you can see that God is active. Jesus is present in all of the Old Testament to be fulfilled. So we should be prepared as we enter into these weeks of looking at Christ in the Psalms to remember that. Now just a moment about the Psalms themselves. Who here would say that their lives have been profoundly impacted by reading the book of Psalms? Well, raise them high. Okay, well some. I would say mine has been for sure. I've actually written some Psalms into songs. They're so easy for memorization because it's truly the songbook of God's people. It was the songbook of Jesus. You might even say it was Jesus's playlist. He, he frequently focused in his preaching on uh, images and allusions and is found in the Psalms. It's the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. And this fulfillment comes up time and time and time again. They were the songs of the early church in Acts chapter two at Pentecost, the first uh, sermon preached by Peter, he reflects on the Psalms and how they point to Jesus over and over and over again. Psalms are in the middle of your Bible. You just kind of go like this and they pop open and they point us in some of the most intense ways to what it means to have a relationship with God. One author even talks about how it's a, a literary sanctuary in which we listen in on conversations between God's people and God, where there's just an incredibly direct conversation. There is intensity, there's intimacy, there's honesty like none other. They hold nothing back, the Psalms do. And I don't know about you, but it gives me such, uh, it's just a grace, a gift to know that we have permission to cry out to God like that. Some of the psalms are about thanksgiving. Some of the songs are about lament and disappointment. Some of the songs are about suffering that we see in Jesus. Some of the songs are about kingship that we see in Jesus that our God reigns. I hope that as we, we, we go week by week looking at these psalms, that it would encourage you to have that kind of bold faith too that can be that direct and intense and intimate and honest with God wherever you find yourself. So that's our framework, okay? Is that a good place to start? Now we're gonna dig in specifically about Psalm 73. There's actually a card that you can take with you. I've been doing my own reflection on Psalm 73, which we'll talk about now, but you can go from this place and keep reflecting on this psalm. As you heard it read, this is a, actually a psalm of Asaph, who was uh, one of the worship leaders for King David. Like Graham, he led God's people in worship. Psalm 73 is almost directly in the middle of the Psalms. And there are allusions of other parts of the Psalm book in here as well, of Psalm 1, where it says, blessed is the one who does not walk with the wicked or stand with the sinners or sit with the mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. There's this contrast of God's people and the wicked. There's an illusion of Psalm 37 where the, the psalmist writes uh, how he actually says, delight yourself in the Lord and the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. Some even say that this Psalm 73 has a parallels with the book of Job, God's innocent righteous man who is aching and hurting. 
Our point for today, for you and I to dig in and actually gain perspective is this. This psalm offers a proper, proper prescription for seeing clearly. Psalm 73 offers a proper prescription and seeing clearly. And, and we want to consider three ways that as Asaph journeys through this psalm, he looks at three different places, three different things he focuses on. And I think they're, they're helpful and enlightening things for us to consider together. First, there's a place to avoid. Second, there's a place to enter into. And lastly, there's discovery of a new meaning for goodness, a new understanding of goodness. And believing that with, as we look with eyes of faith, we'll ultimately see Jesus in all of his goodness found in our lives. Asaph goes through a process of getting there. And so this morning we're going to do that process as well. So first, there's a place to avoid. And it actually has everything to do with the comparison trap. He starts the psalm by saying, Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. There's this, this statement of faith at the very beginning, maybe through gritted teeth. I believe God is good to Israel. Oh, but, but, but. And then Asaph goes on with this list of distractions and aching about why do the, the wicked thrive? I've done everything right and I'm the one hurting and the wicked are the one who are thriving. It's a lament. It's a crying out. I'd even slipped. I'd almost slipped. The righteous struggling with how the unrighteous are healthy. The pure L, not the pure L, sorry, Nathan described. The pure, they're struggling with how, how actually the prideful are the ones being lifted up. And Asaph is so frustrated that everyone else has their act together. I can just even walk through this, this psalm. You might do so later, but from verse four on, he says, they seem to have such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. Confession, I wrote in my Bible in September of 2018 after moving up here, um, the words next to that passage, people in Seattle, and circled it. <laughs> Coming from the donut capital of the world, I thought people are a lot healthier up here. Anyhow, they don't have troubles like other people. Verse six, they wear pride. Verse seven, these guys are fat cats. They have it all together. Verse nine, they boast against the very heavens. Where is God? Does God even know what's going on? They have a life of ease. Verse 12 says, where is Asaph's focus? It's on them. They, 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 they. And it becomes for him a comparison trap. Now I was a little bit surprised because I thought that comparison traps was just a new thing with the internet. I thought that was funnier. <laughs> no. Nope, not at all. But it's actually part of our human condition. Technology just amplifies it, friends, right? Instagram, Facebook, and it's so, it's so hard on our young people, right? They look online and they see these curated images, picture-perfect things, hair all put together, kids behaving, lovely vacations, really nice food. I don't even know what people take pictures of, right? But those kind of things, they set up this us versus the others where they've got a good and I don't have it well. In our head, we know it's not reality, but we get sucked in. That envy snags us. Listen to one, what one tech expert says about this. Sherry Turkle says, technology is seductive when what it offers meets our human vulnerabilities. 
And as it turns out, we are very vulnerable indeed. We are vulnerable to the comparison trap, and so is Asaph, focusing on them, 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 them. And then he takes it even further. The, The other side of that coin is a focus on me, you can read along here. It says, did, did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. I've, God, I'm doing it your way and my life is falling apart. I'm aching, I'm aching, I'm aching. We need to remember that Jesus promises that in this world you have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Believing in Jesus, falling after Jesus isn't a, a ticket to a carefree life. It's knowing that we'll be cared for in the midst of the hard things. And so we can check out, we can change our focus from this comparison trap place, a place to avoid, to a totally new place. People say that comparison is a thief of joy. It's more than that. It robs relationships. It puts barriers between people. It pushes us away. So we're called to look elsewhere, which is what Asaph does in the second part of the scripture. Secondly, He looks at a place to focus, a shift to a place to enter, which is the very sanctuary of God. That's what it says. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and sent them sliding over the cliff to destruction. Asaph caught his breath in the house of God with the people of God, and he got a bigger picture, an eternal picture, to know it was all gonna work out. He didn't have to worry about those things. He didn't have to be the one that was slipping. Now, in the most simple way, you might say, wait, 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 is this scripture say all we gotta do is go to church? I would say yes, well done, amen, I'm done. No, I'm just kidding. No, no, no. Actually, showing up to to, to the house of God for worship together is a piece of it, obviously. Meeting together, the gathering of God's people is a piece of it, but what happens here? The sanctuary is when we are met by God. The sanctuary is when we are met by God in such a way that it transforms us, it changes us, an experience of God that leaves us differently, that shifts the perspective. That's what happened to the man man on the way to Emmaus in Luke 24. That's what happened to the disciples in that room on, on Resurrection Sunday. Their perspective changed because they were met by Jesus and their eyes were open. Circumstances may look exactly the same. It was for Asaph, but he got a perspective when he showed up in the sanctuary of God, an eternal, a deeper perspective. And it kind of, it's elevated in three different ways. First, it's just the, the, the knowledge that God is in control. It might not look like it, but God is in control, and that's what I'm gonna keep my eyes on. God is still on his throne. Secondly, It challenges me and it challenges Asaph to know what's going on is deeper than just our feelings. My gosh, if I live by my feelings, I'm in trouble, friends. What's going on is deeper than just what we feel in the moment. I love love the quote by Henry Nouwen who says, our feelings, as, as true as they are, don't always tell the truth about us and what's going on. And thirdly, it leads Asaph to a confession that envy was actually making him sick. That his focus not on God but elsewhere was making him sick physically. It reminds me of that quote, you might have heard it. If you're struggling with unforgiveness, it's the theme that uh, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and thinking the other person's gonna die. 
we can turn all this negativity inward or we can just leave it behind and choose not to focus there and instead show up at the sanctuary of God and focus on him. So I'm wondering, more than just like church buildings, where are the places and the times in your life where you have been met by God? I hope there are memories that, that come to mind. Times and places where you've been met by God in such a way that you left changed. I have several in my own mind, but uh, two that I'll highlight. One has to do lake, with Lake Shasta. Anybody ever been down Lake Shasta camping? Water? We do, I used to do houseboats, 20 years plus of houseboats with students down there. And it's my favorite place on the planet to worship God through music. There's something about being in that sanctuary. We don't got cell phones, we don't have any of that distraction. The, the most amazing stars, you can almost read your songbooks by the starlight. Just lifting up those songs by God, it's just it's been one of the most profound places I've been met by God in creation. Creation, a big deal for some of you? Places you've been met by God? Make it a practice to get there, to show up and believe that God wants to meet you there. I'm thankful, uh, there was, this is a houseboat, we were doing worship there, but um, so one of the leaders said one year we were down there, they said, you know what? It's not that God is more present to us at Lake Shasta, it's that we are more present to God. Isn't that powerful? God isn't more present to us there, but we are more present to God. Moments of creation, entering creation as God's sanctuary is an invitation for us to be present to the God who is present to us. Second memory is uh, ministry uh, at Camp Attitude. Last year we went on our first intergenerational serve trip down to Central Oregon. We're going again this year. Consider coming, praying for us. Uh, we went down and we support families who have children with special needs and we buddy up and kids are serving one-on-one -on -one and parents get a little bit of a break. But I tell you, if you go, you'll get a taste of heaven there. It is showing up and being met by Jesus. This next picture just shows some of the relational things that are so rich because there's a perspective change on what is normal. Every child there, no matter how able they are, are delighted in and it's celebrated that Jesus delights in them and normal is totally redefined there. I, I just love that. It, maybe it's a place that, like this, a place for you of community, of being with others where just God shows up. You can't help but have your eyes open to see the power of ministry like this. What, so what is it for you? When have been those places where you've been met by God? That sanctuary that you've entered into, your focus has changed and that you've been changed. Maybe this week, there's an invitation for you to enter back into that, to get out into creation. Maybe it's about just slowing down and pressing pause and taking time to be still before the Lord. Maybe it's about calling a friend up and doing coffee and knowing that wherever two or more are gathered in his name, Jesus is present. Take an opportunity this week, not just this Sunday morning, but on a Tuesday with coffee and on a Thursday with some quiet time with God to enter his sanctuary. It's a place to focus, a place to enter that changes us. So not only are there places that we're supposed to avoid with our focus, places to enter, but lastly, this third place, a new understanding of goodness. A new understanding of goodness. This is what he writes. Yet I still belong to you you hold my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom am I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. Oh my gosh, I love that. 
My friends, after this transformation, by entering and being met by Jesus, goodness becomes nearness, the nearness of God in our lives. And that's the message of the gospel. That's where Jesus shows up in the Psalms, is that God came near in Jesus. He lived, he died, he was crucified, buried, he rose again so that we can have a relationship with the God who created all of this in such a way that we never, ever have to doubt the nearness of God. Jesus said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, no matter your circumstances. And that should give us peace and joy. Maybe at times unfelt peace, but peace nonetheless that God has come near I love how Asaph seems to declare, I'm with God. I've known that God was with me, but now I'm making a choice that I'm with God. And that God who is good to Israel is also good to me. His, his prayer becomes one of incredible trust. I love the end of this, this verse because it reminds me of a song of my youth. Lord, you are more precious than silver, more costly than gold, more beautiful than diamonds, and nothing I desire compares to you. That's the heart of Asaph. And he, his prayer of trust actually gives him a couple of, of turns, these big butts that come out in this next passage. Listen to these things. Oh, can you go back one slide? Sorry. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He's mine forever. And he ends the whole text by saying this. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. That's the proper prescription to see clearly, to enter into God's sanctuary, to be met by him and to be near to God. Walter Brueggemann says this, presence, my friends, presence matters so much more than the advantages of life. Focusing on the comparison trap is a dead end, but knowing and celebrating the presence of God in my life is where it's at. I don't know if you have friends who are going through hard times and then astound you with the way that their faith makes them just full of joy and hope. Anyone have friends like that? I have this friend, uh, her name is Gail. She's uh, about 70 and she's been struggling with cancer. And when I check in with her, it's amazing just to see God just radiate, Jesus radiate through her confidence in him. She sent me this text back about how she was doing. She, she talks about how much weed killer they're pouring into her to go after the cancer. She said this. She said, Jesus, and then her husband Dave, who I love as well, Jesus has been present by her side. The Prince of Peace and the prayers of the faithful, faithful wrap us in a cocoon of love and deep peace. That's a woman who has the right perspective on the goodness of God and the nearness that she's experiencing in her relationship with Jesus. It's what Peter says in John 6, when many of the disciples have bailed, and Jesus says, uh, are you gonna bail too? And he says, Lord, where are we gonna go? You have the words of eternal life. It's where John, the beloved disciple, around the Last Supper table, scripture says he leaned into the chest of Jesus and heard the very heartbeat of God. Nearness is goodness. Friends, perspective comes when we have the right prescription to see clearly. And today, I think Psalm 73 gives us just an encouragement of a place to avoid, a place to enter in, and then a new understanding we can have about the goodness of God. Because Asaph became like those boys who ran to Emmaus and ran from Emmaus. His eyes were open. God was good. And I believe and I, I pray that can, that can be true for you and I as well. 
I'm gonna end by sharing a little bit about a, a personal shift in, in our own lives. Uh, Lisa and I have been here almost two years in Seattle, but about six months ago, we began fostering. So here's a picture of our family. And uh, so it wasn't something we were looking for in this season. It's just something that God uh, put in front of our lives. And so two distant cousins we'd never even met actually came into our, our lives, into our house. And I can tell you, I had so much anxiety at the beginning about getting all the stuff together, making sure they had good stuff and that their rooms were comfortable and that they, we gave them experiences that they felt they helped them be feel included. And I was worried about so much about the stuff. And friends, it became really clear to me in the early weeks that what these, these girls needed, what they needed was a security in our presence that we weren't going anywhere. It's relationship, not the stuff. It's relationship. Now, honestly, it's not a superhero thing to be a foster family. It just is opening your house and knowing relationship matters. I have to tell you this kind of miracle story because it's actually been an awareness of a vision God had planted a long time ago and I'd forgotten about. Lisa called me about a month ago crying on the phone and she said, do you remember why you got your vasectomy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. I do remember. No, 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 no. She said, we had two kiddos, but we knew our table wasn't full and that we were gonna adopt. That was, like, that was like 15 years ago. Do you remember that? I'm like, oh my gosh, I've not thought about that in so long. And she's like, it's happening, it's happening. We're both crying on the phone. And so we go to our dinner table that night and Lisa's sharing this with the cousins. We also had a surprise third one too, but anyhow. <laughs> sharing it with the cousins and Lisa's sharing it and the oldest, one of the cousins said, hey, wait, 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 wait a second, wait a second. Were your kids planned? And we're like, no, they're all joyful surprises. And she said, whoa, 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 wait. Are you saying you planned us better than you did your biological children? <laughs> Absolutely. God had this plan. It's just, it has so been so amazing for us to have our eyes open that how long ago did God see that this was in our future and that we would be into, invited into this place of joy to be part of his story where we could actually model nearness and goodness for these kids in a way that God models nearness and goodness for us. And it's an important reminder that eyes of faith are different than how we look at the world normally. We need a perspective ch change. We need to know that goodness comes in ways that we don't expect it. And even though lots of circumstances may not change, something deeper Something greater is going on. God wants to be near. God wants to be active in the here and now in all of our stories. Eyes of faith. You know, that's why we come to this table, actually. Presence is why we come to this table. Jesus gave to his disciples, to us, this pattern of coming near and knowing that he is present as we are present to him. There's a psalm that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And that's what we're gonna experience together as we come to this table. Let's share our prayers together. Jesus, I'm just amazed at just a helpful perspective of Psalm 73 that's just so raw and honest about the process of recognizing we get 
tricked and trapped and distracted by so many things we put our eyes on. But when we show up and focus on you, you meet us in powerful ways that change everything. And that in those moments, then we get a new understanding, a deeper understanding of your goodness and it's, it's found in your nearness. As each of us come to this table, Lord, help us make that a daily pattern in saying yes to you, trusting you more deeply in ways that make all the difference. Maybe our circumstances don't change, but our trust in you will help us actually see you, Jesus, alive and active in our lives. Jesus, in your name we pray, amen.